With the holidays around the corner, now's your chance to save time and money at Safeway Stock Up Sale. Plus, earn four times gas reward points on participating items. Look for tags on items like Honey Nut Cheerios. Select varieties are four for eight dollars with your club card. And select varieties of Betty Crocker Cake Mix, Brownie Mix, or Frosting are ten for ten dollars with your club card. Maximum gas reward at participating Sunoco stations is twenty cents per gallon and one dollar per gallon at Safeway stations in a single fill of up to twenty-five gallons. Other restrictions, limitations, and exclusions apply. For complete details, go to Safeway.com. Locked On Trailblazers, your daily Portland Trailblazers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to a November 5th Saturday edition of the Locked On Blazers podcast. I'm your host, Eric Garcia Gunderson, a writer for BlazersEdge.com and the former Blazers beat writer for the Vancouver Columbian. Thank you for joining me again on this Saturday afternoon. The Blazers got a victory last night against the Dallas Mavericks. Dame was great. I have a guest for today's show. I just wanted to record this before uh, I took us to that conversation that I had with Malika Andrews, Blazers reporter for the Associated Press. We talked Blazers, we talked about last night's game, we talked about how they've been doing, and then we also had a conversation that I've been wanting to have on the podcast uh, centered around you know the NBA's response or lack thereof to the Colin Kaepernick protest, you know what they've been doing in, in response to you know to try and capitalize on the moment and um, the issues at hand going on in the country uh, regarding, you know, the relations between, you know, with police brutality, you know, excessive use of police force, uh, the treatment of black citizens by law enforcement, uh, all that stuff. So uh, we had a great uh, and, and how the NBA w- was was taking part or not in the conversation about all that stuff. So uh, but just wanted to let you know, we had uh, some audio issues in the beginning of the podcast things smoothed out towards the end. But um I don't know what was going on with the connection, but um, while we were recording, there were some times where the audio uh, gets a little spotty, so definitely apologize for that, but I did want to let you know, I know that there are going to be some audio issues on this podcast, but I think the conversation is definitely worth listening to. Just a little heads up, though, there is a little bit of a brief uh, interruption around the 823 mark of the podcast so if it sounds a little disjointed it's because we had to stop recording and and start re-recording at that time so um still a great conversation still i think definitely worth listening to that's why i put it up so hope you enjoy my conversation with malika andrews from the associated press and i am happy to be joined this afternoon by the portland trailblazers reporter for the associated press malika andrews how are you i'm good how are you I'm I'm good. It's uh it's Saturday, which is I love about to <laughs> about to watch my Ducks uh who suck this year, but playing USC. My brother went to USC, so it's kind of like a family uh you know, family rivalry, so yeah. to speak. So, uh I'm excited about that. And then obviously there's a bunch of good basketball games on tonight, but yeah. Uh how are you? 
You know, I am doing all right. I am glad that I'm inside listening to the rain and not outside standing in the rain. So that's always a plus. I think I think I'm gonna skip the college football today. My my roommate is a Notre Dame fan, and my mother went to UCLA, but I've never really hopped on the college football train. So it's more like a day of catching up and 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 doing a little bit of laundry. But I'm looking forward to tonight's games. Laundry's on the list for <laughs> me as well. Yeah, Saturday is laundry day for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely, but. Yes, uh, the Portland Trail. We, we did not have a podcast last night after the game because it's a Friday night, and I, like I'm sure some of you, went out and did not do a podcast following the Blazers game. Did watch, did. We will break it down for you, as we always do here on Locked On Blazers. And the Blazers go to 3-3. Three and three. They are back to 500 after losing to the Golden State Warriors the other night. They defeat the Dallas Mavericks 105-95. Damian Lillard doing it again. 42 points on 18 shots, which is pretty ridiculous. And then four assists, four rebounds, Mason Plumlee with 19 points pitching in and uh, Al Farouk Aminu also pitched in with a double, double Blazers win. Dame was great again. Yeah, absolutely. He was. And I mean, you know, he kind of set the, the precedent for himself at the beginning of the year, setting high standards, saying I'm MVP, kind of shedding that persona a little bit from last year that it's us versus everyone. And this year it's like, I'm here to play. And and I like that. I like seeing him take a little bit more responsibility because he knows that they're not going to be able to sneak up on anyone. So, so why not say it loud, say it proud. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's a show and that's, and that's what he's putting on. He's doing a dang good job of it. Yeah. Damien has been fantastic. Just, quick read off of his averages so far this season uh through six games he's averaging 34 points a game he's getting to the line almost 10 times a game almost six rebounds and just a hair under five assists and his turnovers are actually a little bit lower as well than they were last season and if you want to know where he ranks uh in the nba since We've talked a lot, and we will be talking a lot this season about his MVP candidacy. Right now, he's third in the league in points per game or tied for second with Russell Westbrook at 34.2. DeRozan, DeMar DeRozan is the leader right now. But um, Damian Lillard, one of the highest scorers. He's been efficient. I mean, this is impressive, the step that he's taken, because it's, like you said, it's not just him trying to rile them up as the underdog. Now he's like, I am... We are the team. I and the he's man. and he's putting up the numbers to back it up. And that and that was kind of the, the most important thing. So, I mean, he's absolutely still in the running. Uh, he wasn't my pick for MVP, but but he's starting to change my mind. So I, I think that, you know, he absolutely shot at it. Yeah, no, he, he, he's been great. Obviously, lots of great candidates. Russell Westbrook will be in it all season long. James Harden will be in it all season long. Uh, and, and so uh, I really think that uh, the Damian Lillard is going to be in the mix, though, uh, for, for the whole season. But it seems like he's been great, but there are still some issues. I feel like they shouldn't have had as much trouble as they did against Dallas last night. Yeah, you know, I mean, Dallas was a win. They, they were supposed to win, Dallas. The, you know, go win their division so you know they should have had an easy time with them I think part of that though comes from Dallas's skilled bigs and you know Portland's bigs have a little bit of catching up to do in that area and so that was a little bit of a mismatch for them yeah the big men it seems like they just have not uh found 
Plumley had a good statistical game last night, but I still am not sure um, that he is quite there yet uh, as an anchor. And I, I really think that they they still are are, are struggling here. And uh, Myers Leonard too, like is kind of in and out of the rotation. It doesn't seem like Stotts has been able to settle yet on uh, a consistent big man rotation. Right. And even the numbers. You know, for a guy like, you know, Ed Davis only played nine minutes last night, and that might have been because Plumley was scoring so well. But, uh, yeah, the bigs, they, they've definitely been hit or miss. Uh, but, right. And that's kind of the game that the Blazers have to play with all these big men because it's almost like – it's almost it, it's kind of like they're playing roulette with these guys. Well, and the key is the big men have to be able to shoot. And you're looking at, like, Al Farouk Aminu. You know, he's he's kind of got to be your dynamic big man scorer. And, you know, he's 26% overall, 25% from – So I – it was a little bit of a mismatch last night with uh, the Mavericks big – it's going to be a little bit of a struggle for them. Mason Plumley had a good showing last night, but you look at someone like Al Farouk Aminu, who uh, from the start, you know, he's averaged 25% overall, 25 or uh, 26% overall, excuse me, 25% from deep. And you have to be better than that in a league that bigs are looking to shoot. You know, you need to have those dynamic scores because you can't just rely on a backcourt of CJ. You need to have at least one other guy that's picking up that scoring. Yeah, I think we saw that problem big time uh, in the Warriors game, which uh, Mm -hmm. you were at. And that, uh, I mean, really was the big thing that I saw was, you know, Dame and CJ all had, they both had pretty decent showings, but just nobody else was there to help them. And I think that that's the strategy for other teams. It's like, we're just going to let Harkless and Farouk and those guys shoot and see if they can beat us. Because it seems like most teams don't think they can. Well, right. State, I you know I thought that was going to be a really interesting matchup, especially because a little bit of issues with what's going on and their big men. So I thought the two teams that are still trying to figure out with you know even with the Warriors issues, Zaza was able concerning because they're. Not up against you know someone like DeAndre Jordan yet one of the most elite centers in the league yeah they, they um the the Blazers you know I I, I thought I was I was impressed with the fact that they were able to take advantage last night I shouldn't have been impressed that they took advantage of the fact that Bogut wasn't in there for Mav for the Mavericks last night but um they are still going to have trouble against a lot of big men because you know, Plumlee's kind of a mobile guy. He could get pushed around by, like, say, Cousins or, you know, guys like that. And then you have Ed Davis, who basically also fits that mold as a mobile guy who, <clears throat> you know, moves well. And then you have Myers, who's, like, strong. But then he just he just, he just just kind of lacks, like, at least defensively, like, just the instincts. Like, it's just not instinctual. Right. Like, he has to think about everything that he does. And so it's just – exactly. Yeah, and then Vonley, I, 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 he, he's been good, but it's like I don't, I don't know, like he was getting good numbers, but I don't know how much he was actually like helping them. Because so did, like, the bra- did the braids make him better? His hair did. I, I think they did. We should, we should start like tracking like. When... <laughs> I think they do too. Yeah. Fan. We, we should definitely start tracking it like post braids <laughs> stats versus pre braids yeah. stats. Uh, I think that's a good with uh, great braid stats. I absolutely agree with that measurement. 
Yeah, but I yeah no, and, and a good thing uh, that you pointed out too about Farouk is that he hasn't made a whole lot of shots, and it just seems like, you know, that the team is going to depend a lot on whether those guys can whether those other guys can make right. shots. And, and well, it, it's yeah, absolutely. And you know, it looked like he started to maybe get some going during that first round against the Clippers and the second round against against the Warriors. He was kind of their hero that third and being able to take them make that and he did and so at the beginning of the season a lot of people were kind of expecting him to continue uh, to continue with that as opposed to just you know picking and popping here and there um but he didn't and so that's where it's like all right well i guess he has to work on his outside shot a little bit more and be able to create not just uh kind of cherry pick in what's handed to him Mm -hmm. i i think that that's one positive thing that i've seen of aminu lately is that it seems like he's more comfortable dribbling the ball and doing a little bit more creating he just hasn't knocked down shots which is you know first and foremost the thing that he has to do when you're playing alongside cj and dame so yeah as you mentioned shooting 25 percent from three uh to start the season and then the other guy who you know everyone talked about a lot because he was the biggest move that the blazers made evan turner uh, his his individual shooting numbers have kind of improved a little bit but the blazers play as a unit when he's out there still lagging uh, far, far behind where they should be or where you would want any bench to be. They're getting killed. I mean, I, I think if you just, he just doesn't quite fit in the rotation. There's not exactly. When Neil decided to bring him in was, okay, where's he going to fit? Because this is a guy that's used to getting the ball and shooting it. And if you already have Dame and you already have CJ in there, where is that going to fit? So he comes in as the, like the sixth man off the bench, but for $70 million, he should be making more of an impact than he is. Yeah. And, and I think one of the selling points of Evan Turner was he's going to make his teammates better. You know, he had good assisting numbers and, uh, you know, and he could really handle the ball. And, and, and that was kind of the hope just to add some statistical weight to what we are discussing and what we're seeing. Evan Turner, this is according to NBA.com. When he's on the court, the Blazers are a minus 15.8 net rating means that's they're losing almost 16 points per 100 possessions when Turner is on the court. And when Turner is off the court, they are outscoring their opponents by 12.3 points per 100 possessions so it's a pretty stark contrast uh Mm -hmm. right now and i think another another thing that you know is probably playing into this cj mccollum's averages right now are right around where they were last season but he's dipped like a little bit and maybe that little dip in his usage and and being able to create can create something some kind of adverse effect that maybe is harder to quantify with turner handling the ball so much because it doesn't seem like like CJ is really getting a chance to control things when he's out there with Turner. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. And I think that goes back to just not being able to figure out where those three fit in order to be able to share the ball, get those touches, create for 
like that, which is why Turner just kind of comes in when someone else needs a break or someone else, you know, and, and, and I feel like if you're going to pay a guy that much money, if you're going to bring him in, you have to really work to bring him into the rotation. We all know Stotts doesn't like to share his lineups before they actually happen. But, you know, I, I think he I think it he, partly is because he hasn't quite figured out in his mind where this new piece is going to fit in with these other guys. Right. And I think he I mean, I, I think they have tried to be like, obviously, when they made the deal and they signed him, everything's roses. But now, I think once the season started, I think they've been starting to talk a little bit more about like, hey, we got to give it time. Like Turner's even been saying, like, we got to give it time. We got to. We, we, we need some time, but like how much time is enough time? Exactly. And, you know, I think it was roses within the organization because they, you know, had some trouble, get, trouble getting some other guys that, you know, they had their they had their eyes on. And that's been an issue for the Blazers a couple seasons in a row now. But on the outside, I don't think it was all Rosens. I think a lot of fans and people, when they saw that Evan Turner was who was being added to the roster, their eyebrows shot all the way up to the ceiling. Yeah, no, and it's it, it, and we're seeing why now. It's like we're yeah, finally, and that question yeah. hasn't been answered. You right. know, like you know, it, it's one thing when it's like, oh, why are we bringing this guy in? Like a little bit, like why are they bringing in Al Farouk Aminu? But it made sense once the season started. They started to gel. Oh, okay, I see where this player fits. We're five, six games in now, and and there have been no answers and no improvement, and that's where they should start to say, okay, well, how can we readjust to make this work? Because they're a good team. How can we make each like? How can we make them gel individually as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they they're still waiting for that to to happen. Uh, just also Turner's individual stats were not good last night. Um, I know I talked about them getting better, but they were bad last night. Five points, four turnovers, uh, seven rebounds, one for eight shooting. Uh, really, really uh, rough start to the season for him. And the Blazers have not played well when he's on the court. In addition to those numbers that I just read off and. For, uh, Aminu and Harkless and Crab all got over 30 minutes last night, and I just wonder, is that going to just be the case? I mean, CJ McCollum had had trouble with fouls last night, so he didn't play a whole lot, but uh, he played a lot less than he normally does. But I feel like, too, you know, the Turner thing, it almost makes more sense as like a insurance if one of those other three wings can't play. But it seems like having Turner on there almost – holds the Blazers back, holds their other younger wings back, not even just CJ and Dame, but, you know, Crab, Aminu, and Harkless, who uh, I, I think fit really well with the team last year. Well, if I'm being honest, I don't think, I think, again, it goes back to it not being Neil's first choice of what he wanted, and therefore you have all these pieces that don't necessarily fit together, but it's like, crap, the, the cap ceiling went up. I have to spend this money. This is a good individual piece. Let's just bring them in. And now it's like, well, we have them. What do we do with them? Yeah. And, 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 but I mean, the, I guess the positive thing about it is you can say, okay, well, he's got four years left on his deal and, mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And maybe they can trade. But, you know, how many teams want someone like Evan Turner? I mean, he worked out well for the Celtics last year. I get right. that. I get that. But, and maybe if you don't have, literally anybody on your bench or second unit or on your team that you think can run a second unit, then maybe Turner is a guy for you. But are you willing to pay a second unit leader $70 million and give up things of value right. to get him? And so I think that's, you know, I don't think, I think looking at the wings, I think, I think a lot of people think that there's going to be a trade at some point. Zach Lowe's written about it. A lot of people have written about it that they just have so many pieces. They're going to be up against the luxury tax next year. You know, 
I wonder how long it takes before they really start to consider moving some of these guys because it, you can already see that there's some problems here. I, I think I'm just a pessimist and I think that it's going to take them a little bit too long because that's what we're seeing now. We're in a guys they bring in these guys that are just like why do you need them maybe it's because they can't get anything better but then you get stuck in these positions now what what pieces if you if you get rid of this piece what's the better piece that you can get yeah that's the other problem is like can you get something better can they exchange you know can, can they find that third guy you know well like, at this point it's like meh, maybe not yeah they might they might not and that and that could be a problem and as great as dame's season i think promises to be ultimately he could his mvp candidacy could be dragged down by this team's inconsistency and inability to really find uh an identity you know for those other minutes when dame really isn't out there to be able to just push them through those tough slogs i guess because last right. night, you know last night he was he really just put the team on his back and he's been doing that since the first game well, and that's what you've seen with someone like Russell Westbrook, too, where I think it's a more extreme example over in OKC, but I think it's the same. It's just a, a different extreme of, of the same of the same medicine that we're talking about. And so I think that it's easy to see someone like like Russell starting to burn out because he does have to put the whole team on his back and carry him through. And I think that kind of same thing is going to happen with Dame. I think there are more scorers on the Blazers to 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 help him out. But a, a one-man show, not to say that that CJ doesn't have a, a ton of value and is worth every penny of his contract, but for lack of a for for lack of what we've seen so far, a one-man show, it's going to cost you, and he's not going to be able to to maintain that no matter how good or how fit he is. It's just it's just not the way it works. Yeah, they they need CJ to find his rhythm, and I don't know if that's I don't know how they I don't know how they figure that out because. You know, one idea that some that uh, I had uh, Danny LaRue on the podcast and one idea he threw out there was maybe you just let maybe you just let Turner maybe you take CJ out for a little bit longer earlier and mm-hmm. you just let Turner get out there and, and, and do his thing and, and not like waste CJ out there. And then, right. you know, and then take Turner out and then let CJ kind of play free reign or have CJ and Dame together because they obviously can play together and maybe just try and make the most of what Turner can give you. So, you know, I, I they're, they still have some other options to see how right. things work out before they have to start saying, okay, we got to trade these pieces. Well, the key there is making an adjustment. And I just think that the coaching style that we've seen with the Blazers is they like to stick with what they know. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing in all cases, but I think that things need to go really wrong for Stott's to make an adjustment like that because it's a big adjustment to have to make that and historically they just haven't done that that's not necessarily right or wrong but being realistic that's the way it is right and and staggering cj and dame worked so well for them last Mm -hmm. season having one of them on the court at all times so you know they're not they're not (laughs) if they don't do that yeah that that see that would be a pretty extreme pretty drastic change for stats so i do agree yeah given his track record of changes you know, unless it's a very minimal back end change, mm-hmm. he's really hesitant to do those quickly. And I, right. I, I get it because he believes in the system, he believes in the players, but um, it makes it hard though when things aren't going, you know, when things aren't going well. And their defense too has been bad. They really just haven't found any, um, you know, consistency outside of Lillard. And yeah, uh, but they play again Sunday tomorrow against the Grizzlies. That's a matinee. Uh, for those of you on the West Coast, 
so I think they're playing that game at 11.30 or noon, I, I want to say, uh, tomorrow in Memphis. Chandler Parsons, the Blazers' first wing target, the mm-hmm. one one of those missed connections for Neil Olshay. <laughs> uh, he uh, is going to make his debut on Sunday against the Blazers. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I think we're going to transition now to a discussion I've been uh, wanting to have on this podcast, at least a little bit longer discussion about, uh, you know, the NBA and, and, and the way that they've kind of tried to respond or didn't really respond or to, you know, the Colin Kaepernick <laughs> anthem protests, you mm-hmm. know, trying to make, you know, protests in, you know, against police brutality and, you know, make these points more public and and bring it to the forefront instead of just hiding behind the fact that it's sports and it's just sports and kind of letting those things sit there and it seems to me i've said this before like on the podcast briefly but it was just me and i definitely want to get you know your perspective (laughs) as a black woman to you know talk about this and have a real conversation where it's not just me talking Mm -hmm. about it and and, (laughs) to yourself yeah to myself (laughs) right so um, I, I think the NBA try they I think they tried to let the this is just my take on it. I think they right. tried to quote unquote like the word I think they were trying to use was like empower the players to, you know, say what they want to say. But I think in the way that they did that empowering, it kind of neutered the protest and right. that it was no longer a protest and it became like a league sanctioned statement and then all the messaging like the nba cares ads you know Mm -hmm. they have the one with like the cop and the kid playing hoops in the street and they have the nba players all saying together and it it all seemed very just it didn't seem very real right well so 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 here's the thing i think that um i think i think it was mark spears who wrote a piece talking to david west of of the warriors about um, what he thought about, you know, the protests and all of that that's going on. And I think that what he said, which was protest is an individualized thing, is absolutely true. I think it can be done and demonstrated in a public way. But what it boils down to is, is protest is something you do on an individual level. So you take someone like Colin Kaepernick, who knelt down and I think it came out later that he you know confided in a couple confided in a couple of people before he did it but you take someone like that who made a statement not you know next to anybody else not with anyone else at least the first time and and no one noticed but then later you know he went he went back and said this is why I did this this is why I'm choosing to do this I know that in the NBA, I understand it's a rule you have to stand during the national anthem and that rule doesn't exist in the NFL but at the same time, I don't think unity circles or what we're seeing is a form of protest. I, I think that's bullshit. I think that that is, you know, that's great. That's team bonding. That's, you know, maybe, you know, an example of how things should be. But that's not protesting the system that's already in place. And the thing is, no one asked you to. But I think there is something that because this has been with with Colin Kaepernick and Megan Rapino. um, and, and, and other players, I think there's a sense of uh, people feel obligated. Athletes feel obligated. They have to do something because, because this is the conversation that's happening right now and they want to be relevant. You know, 
because this is a Blazers podcast, take it back to Dame. I think Dame actually really cares. I think he actually really cares. I think you can see that in his music. I think you can see that in, you know, some of the Twitter conversations he'd had over the summer talking to Sean King, people like that. But in a way, his his hands are a little bit tied because you, he, he can't protest really in a league-sanctioned way. But the thing is, you don't have to. And I feel like these unity circles are just kind of watering down the rest of what's supposed to be going on. Yeah, I think it, I think they would have been better off not doing anything at all. Well, I just think like I, I think I think you can make a statement. I think you can say like a, a literal verbal statement. I think mm-hmm. you can say, "Hey, the NBA doesn't allow us to kneel." I, you know, I and I think you know some players have saying, "I I agree with Dame did at the opening press conference that he uh, he. Uh, agrees and supports the cause and he thinks it takes a very brave person to do that and I think that's fine I think you can leave it at that but I think by doing these unity you know things it's wishy-washy and it's just it makes a pretty Instagram photo to to put up later yeah for the team accounts they can all put it up (laughs) in the NBA account they can all put up that they're together the Celtics I saw one that they basically recreated a photo from their team in like 1961 which like it right. it, it was a big deal in 1961 to have black players and white players holding hands together but just holding hands is not really a, a monster statement in well, 2016 then- and then, you know, when you look at that versus the 76ers and not letting that uh, their their yeah. lady perform the national anthem, it's like, yeah, but you're going to stand with the, we matter. with the We Matter shirt yeah, on. Yeah. It's like, you know, you're going to stand in a unity circle and you're going to do all this. But when it comes to someone who just wants to individually protest wearing a shirt, they're not going to let her do that. And, you know, since she's just today, she accepted their apologies. She's going to be performing in the future. All that's peachy. And I don't think there needs to be grudges held. But I do think that if you um, think that what Colin Kaepernick is doing versus what a lot of NBA teams are doing takes the same amount of strength and dedication, then I think you need to reexamine that because I, 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 in my opinion, you're wrong. Yeah, this is um, yeah, it it was very you know interesting the way that these teams handled it. I think it was like yeah, it's individual and they're they're. The, the restrictions that they have, but you know, the WNBA has those same rules and they did it. Right. Like they, they went in for those, like they kneeled, mm-hmm. they were, the, the, there were teams in the playoffs that were doing it. And it was, you know, it, so I, I, you know, it, right. it is possible for these, for these teams to make a statement, you know, but it seems like now it doesn't seem like we're going to see one. I, I like I, if, if it hasn't happened now, I don't think we're going to see one. Like, I don't think that like, they're going to do something like crazy, like on Christmas Day, they're going to do it. Like, there's, right. that, that would be like the only, that's like the only thing left that maybe they could or do. All but, star or something yeah, or like that. But, yeah. You know, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily see that happening. And, and I want to stress that I think that's fine. I think that's okay. Where I see kind of the thing that makes me, you know, shake my head a little bit is comparing a unity circle to what Colin Kaepernick is doing. I think it's fine if you don't want to make a statement. I understand, you know, putting yourselves out there. I've even had that conversation on the collegiate level with with college athletes and saying, well, I don't want my school to get mad at me. And I understand that. No one should force you to have to do this. But I don't think doing a half-assed job is the is the solution either. No, no. It, I, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Comparing it and, and also I, I get a little uncomfortable with like, 
you know, basically the monetization of it where they're using these images and commercials and stuff as if they are making a statement when they're not. And I think the NBA has done a lot of good in a lot of places. They don't need to saturate, you know, I yeah. think moving the all-star game, in my opinion, was uh, uh, the, that weekend was a good decision. Mm-hmm. I think I think they have done a lot of good, but I don't think, I think, and I think they have the right to, because I think to some degree that's a, a uh, advertising and publicity move as well because you get pressure from outside places to do this. But I think that, you know, with this particular situation, you don't necessarily have to get in on it. And that's fine. Yeah. You know, no, it's you- just, it, it's, it's where you do, but you yeah. don't go all the way. Mm-hmm. That, that's where it's like, that's a little bit of a problem. Yeah. And, and, and it's also, you know, it, yeah. I mean, it, it's also too, it's kind of weird. You know, it's not weird because they are a league. They are a major multi-billion dollar business. They, it's not weird that they're acting like a corporation, but it, it's funny because, you know, they, they the NBA has done more so than any other league, I think, really tried to position itself as like the league that cares about stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, the, they made a huge thing about Donald Sterling and kicking him out of the league and taking away his team. And, you know, when you compare, like, the reaction to that to, like, to you know, telling teams that they can't kneel down and stuff like that, which I get is, you know, a rule and all that stuff. But it also seems like well, you taking, know. It, seems like they, it seems like they're really just about taking the easy win, which, mm-hmm. like, Donald Sterling was kind of an easy win. And this whole thing is a lot more complicated. And so, like... But there is something to be said if they were to not – I mean, the NBA hasn't looked really good this whole summer. They suspended the WNBA players. Then, you know, they're telling people that they you know need to adhere to the NBA right. rules. Right. And so it, it's been just a little different. It almost seems like they're just a lot more safe now. Well, and the thing is that it's very clear that people – players care yes you know it's like you've heard Andre Godala say he cares you've heard Damian Lillard say he cares yeah. you've heard you know David West say that he cares and obviously I I'm, tend to be West Coast oriented um but you know LeBron and Mello. and Mello and all these guys so I I can't help but wonder if that rule wasn't a rule would they be kneeling also I just thought of this now that we're having this discussion <laughs> They're also in the middle of a labor negotiation. Right. So, like, they they just may be trying to do everything they can to stay on the best side of the league as possible while they do this negotiation. And then perhaps maybe that opens the door for them to be able to do it. I I didn't even think about the fact that the uh, labor negotiations are going on, and that, you know, could be a factor in this. I think also, too, you know, Damian Lillard, you talked about how he's pretty, you know— uh, in tune to all these things. I think CJ too, you know, he's pretty mm-hmm. active on, on Twitter and he, obviously he's a media personality in addition to being a player. But, you know, I've talked to him about some of this stuff too before, you know, off the record. And he obviously cares about this stuff as well. So the Blazers have guys that care. I just think, I think they're kind well, of in a bind and the whole league is in a bind. At least the players are anyway. I think. And just the other day I was doing a, 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 a anonymous uh, survey for, for ESPN of a couple of the players um, and I was asking some of the guys if they above a certain height, if they felt that they intimidated people. And one of the guys told me, yeah, I think people are intimidated by me because of my height, but more because of my race. And so it's like the percentage of of players in the NBA that are black is, is like something like 75 mm-hmm. yeah, percent. But yeah. 
you know, owners and coaches, that goes down a whole lot. GMs, yeah, right. front office people. Yeah, right. I mean, that's so I, mean, that's, I don't know what the numbers are on that, but it's extremely white. Yeah. So, you know, there's probably a little bit of tension there, too. Not to say that the tension doesn't exist in the NFL or say that the NBA has it harder than the NFL. But I just think there's more of a structure around it that 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 there isn't as much of in, in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and to that point, too, they, there is that difference. I think one counterpoint I will say, though, is that of any other league, the bl- the players in the league in the NBA have a lot more power. And if they want to do something, I don't think there's, that's the thing that I always, that I kind of was a little, I guess I wanted them to do more because the NBA really, the players really have the power. And mm-hmm. it's like, it, you know, if they really want to do something, if they really want to make a statement, I don't know if anybody can stop them, but you know, Howard Beck and uh, Jonathan Abrams for Bleacher Report wrote this thing that, you know, teams are not trying to do protests they're going to try and invest more in like community outreach and doing programs and stuff like that which is great um and i think you know if if they can do that too but i think also just keeping the conversation going um is important as well that's that's the thing i mean i think you know i could talk about this for a while but i think with colin kaepernick he brought a conversation back up that many people kind of essentially an an extension of the black lives matter conversation that kind of uh, erupted after Ferguson and then kind of lulled a little bit until Colin Kaepernick did what he did. And I think that, you know, the the bottom line that LeBron and Melo and, and, and Chris Paul and all them brought up uh, at the ESPYs was that athletes – that's a big thing now. Athletes have a voice now. And so if, if you, if they don't say something about it, then, then kind of who will. Right. And, and like I said, we don't need to ask every athlete about this. We don't, not every athlete needs to talk about this. Not every, you know, but it is, it is refreshing when people have good informed opinions and they're, and they're using their platform to say things. And I think, like you said, I think if Kaepernick hadn't done that, I think, you know, we would have this whole election season where we're talking about, you know, Hillary and Trump and all this stuff, but then we would be forgetting this whole giant conversation that matters to this country. And I feel like if Kaepernick hadn't brought it up, we would have forgotten about it. Right. Absolutely. So, so, um, but yeah, glad we, glad we got to chat about that. Anything else, anything you're working on, anything you want people to be on the lookout for from you, uh, where they can find your stuff, follow you on Twitter, all that jazz. All that jazz. Um, yeah, so I'm working on a big uh, blazer great Terry Porter piece that's going to come out next Thursday. Uh, the link to that will be on my Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Malika underscore Andrews, just like it sounds, M-A-L-I-K-A. Um, and I that's that's kind of my the, the big story that I'm working on right now. Nice. Well, looking forward to reading that. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. And Please subscribe to Locked On Blazers on iTunes, Audio Boom, Stitcher, TuneIn FM. If you listen to us on FanRag Sports, thank you and please subscribe. Uh, we'll be back again. Blazers play tomorrow, Sunday, in Memphis, and they will be on their way back to the Northwest following that game. So keep listening, subscribe, leave a five star review, and we'll catch you later.